Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share about the inspiring stories that led to the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way. Hey, Ed, we are back for season two of the Every Voice Now podcast. Woohoo! Well, I'm so glad you're letting me come back as your co-host. It's really a joy and honor to be here with you again, Myla. Well, the honor is ours. And this season, we'll also have our producer, Helen Lee, helping out with hosting duties. So our listeners will get to know even more of our behind-the-scene crew along the way. I know. Helen and I had a great conversation together with Erwin Ince that everyone will get to hear in the future. And I know you and Helen had some fun conversations together, too. We did. Last season was a blast, but this season, I feel as though the emotions are at another level because we're having all of the authors do a little reading in each episode, and then we get to find out the -the behind-the-scenes story of what it was like to write those portions. It has led to some really special and memorable moments on the show, including this conversation with Terrence Lester. And so I've got to warn our listeners, you might need a tissue. Terrence is so real, so honest, and so delightful all at the same time. He's the kind of person who you just want to keep hanging out with and getting to know, and I think everyone listening will really appreciate how special this conversation was. Well, with that said, let's get the show on the road and begin our conversation with Terrence Lester. Welcome, Terrence Lester, to the Every Voice Now podcast. Welcome, Terrence. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, why don't we just start off the podcast with having you tell us a little bit about your personal backstory. So where did you grow up? Where do you live now? What details would you like to share about your family? Anything like that? Yeah, so I am a native of Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here my entire life. I've never lived in any other part of the country. I guess the earliest memory of my racial identity and shaping happens around uh, my grandmother. Uh, Her name is Jessica Lester. I can remember as early as eight years old being taken to church by my grandmother where she attended a historically black church. And at that time or in that moment, I'm young. I had no clue about what church was. I just know I love my grandmother and her cooking. I would tag along and watch her worship and have her give me these real intimate conversations about what a choir was and what a preacher was. And while we are sitting in pews, wooden, wooden pews, I also saw my grandmother become almost like the backbone of our family and the way that she gathered people in the way that she brought together around meals, but also in the way that she served the local church. I had no clue uh, later on that I would actually be in ministry. I just remember my grandmother dragging me around the church and introducing me to some of the mothers of the church saying that this this young man is going to one day be a preacher. Well, I want to pivot a little bit to talk about just even your journey of writing a book. And so what was the moment where you began to think about writing a book and what encouraged you or made you feel, I think I'm going to do this? 
Yeah, I was on a campaign for our organization. It's called Map 16. Uh, it was happening in 2016 where the board and my family allowed me to walk across the country from Atlanta, Georgia to Washington, D.C. to bring awareness to the issue of homelessness and poverty. And I'll never forget the story that inspired it. I was sitting in my office one day. It was a Saturday morning. We were actually closed, but I was doing some organizational work and there was a knock at the door. It was this elderly lady that I had never met before. I go to the door and she says, I heard there is an organization in this community that helps with food resources. Do you know of this organization? And I was like, yeah, well, that's that's us. We have a food co-op. I, I went on to explain, but I also explained that we weren't open. And I peeped my head around the window or, or out the door just to see, you know, how she got there. And I didn't see a car. And I started to ask her a question about, you know, how she arrived. And she said she had walked seven miles just for food because she had exhausted all, all of her social security funds and was living with a, an additional two weeks and had no food resources. Obviously, our organization partnered with her and we were able to build that relationship and provide resources. But it, it became the linchpin or the catalyst of why I was walking. And when I was walking across the, the country, I started to encounter all of these stories of individuals who were had the courage to wake up each day and survive poverty. And there, there was a lot of parallels that I was starting to see between the physical exhaustion that I was experiencing and the exhaustion that you experience when you are poor in this country. I'll never forget journaling each day and then thinking there needs to be some type of book that would help people to see other people not as problems, but as people going through problems and as people worthy of being affirmed in the ways that our Lord calls us to affirm uh, people. What are some barriers that stood in the way as you're alluding to, you're talking about your first book, I See You. And yes. so when you started that journey of this is from a journal entry to an actual book, what were some of the barriers that stood in that way of your publishing journey? And even more specifically, how do you feel like your author journey is different as an author of color? Historically, when I was thinking about putting a book together, I had so many doubts and fears because I had been writing for so long and had reached out to so many different agents and uh, agencies trying to secure an agent to actually pitch it to a traditional publishing company. And that journey was 14 years in the making. And then finally, I launched this organization and people are starting to hear about the work that I have been doing for almost 17 years now. And I rediscovered the courage to try again. And then still having these questions of would a publishing company even give me an opportunity as a person of color because I have a unique experience and way of seeing the world specifically related to the work that I was doing. And I'll never forget, I sent out query letters and, and the three chapters and I got a response. And I'll never forget the joy I felt for just having someone notice that I had something to say 
when I actually got the uh, publishing deal, it was a moment of relief that I would have a voice in an industry that is dominated by majority culture. When I think about my own shaping, you know, I read books from people who didn't look like me. I went to seminary and learned about theologians who didn't look like me. I was always fed narratives and stories from people who didn't look like me. It wasn't until post high school that I started to really do my own independent scholarship to learn from people who looked like me to give me a perspective that was closely related to my existential reality. And so I wanted to be one of the persons that contributed to that shaping of what it means to be black and brown in this country and have a perspective. And so that was my journey. Terrence, I find it so interesting that journaling was a part of your writing experience early on. Where, where did that instinct come from? It actually started when I was probably 13 years old. I used, I used poetry as a vehicle to express myself. And it was from a probably age 13 all the way to 21, where I would just write all of these poems related to my social location or the, the trauma and pain that I had endured when I was a, a kid. And I actually found the courage to start doing like spoken word poetry. And so many people don't know that I, I self-published my first book when I was 21 years old, book of poems called The Mind of Me. And I've always been one to just transparently communicate not only my personal pains, but use those as bridge builders to relate to other people who may be suffering in the same way that I was suffering. And I just made it a practice to always write down what it was that I was experiencing in my present moment, but also write down what I was observing in a larger society. And it helped me to shape my voice and my opinions about what I was processing uh, when I was looking at what was happening in the world. I imagine you returned to a lot of those journal entries as you were writing your books. It's funny for me, inspiration happens on the margins. My deepest inspiration comes from sitting with being proximate to and practicing presence among those who are caught in the struggle and the suffering. I wrote When We Stand doing frontline work in the middle of the pandemic while people were at home and arguing in grocery stores about toilet paper and uh, paper towels. I was on the front lines watching people without these basic critical resources suffer. And I'm having these ideas about how important it is for people to come together to see those on the margins as being a part of the whole community and not just some uh, group of people in the background. Yeah, so I, I derive a lot of my inspiration from being close and proximate to the suffering that God is speaking through. What are you and your words bringing to the world that no one else can bring? What need is your voice filling in the sphere of things here? My hope is that my writings are giving people an opportunity to truly see neighbor and love neighbor and have empathy for neighbor 
but also to have empathy for the neighborhood that has shaped the neighbor. And not only have empathy for the neighborhood that has shaped the neighbor, but also a level deeper is to have concerns about what that neighborhood faces and help a person to affirm the Imago Dei and the dignity of those who have been excluded and pushed to the margins of society. One thing I just want to affirm you, Terrence, as an author is you're living out what you're writing. This guy's not just talking about things. He's out there. He's doing it. And people probably wonder, when does he have time to write a book? He's out there all the time. And so just wanted to affirm you. I think that's really where your voice fills the gap is. Sure, you wrote a book about it, but I I want our listeners to hear what you said. You said this is a 14-year journey, a book in the making. A book doesn't get produced in a year. It's lived out in life and experience for 14 years before it even comes to the surface of, of being written. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we return, Terrence will be doing a reading for us and we'll talk more about his book writing process. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Myla, it is incredible to me that IVP is about to turn 75 years old. Do you believe that? That's amazing. I know. That is amazing. I mean, considering that so many book publishers have come and gone during that time. And so I'm so grateful to be part of such a long-standing legacy. Well, it's a testimony to IVP's commitment to publishing quality books, not to mention books by a diversity of authors. And this has been IVP's MO for the majority of its history. Yeah, and we keep finding more voices of color to highlight each and every season. And so visit everyvoicenow.com to find out how you can get a great discount on today's featured book and many more. Well, welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth. And it's time for our Behind the Words segment where we hear a reading from an author and then find out more about what went on behind the scenes of writing that portion. Terrence, what will you be reading for us today? Yeah, so I am actually going to read chapter four of my new book, When We Stand, and it's entitled Be Brave and Unlearn. Okay, and why did you select this particular passage before we go in? Yeah, it's... uh, It's something that is very relevant to where we are in society and culture as it relates to uh, racial injustice, but it's also an ode to my daughter and my son who I've had to have racial conversations with Mm. even before their adolescence. So chapter four, it's called Be Brave and Unlearn. Not too long ago, My daughter was very excited at the prospect of a little girl who looked very much like her, who had dark skin, playing the titular role of Ariel in the remake of the Little Mermaid movie. What I remember most of all, though, is my daughter's subsequent sadness when she saw hashtags like Not My Ariel on social media sites, along with other racist comments. Hateful sentiments from individuals who asserted that Ariel needed to be a cute girl with white skin were all too readily available for my young daughter to read online. I recall that she repeatedly asked me why throughout the entirety of the next day, having read many of these comments. 
I tried to educate her by drawing on both historical examples and my own experiences, one that I sadly suffer weekly. These experiences uh, that none of my white counterparts have had to document or try to explain to their children, not one. This is in part because black children encounter the topic of race at earlier ages than white children. The Washington Post reported that black families can't afford to wait until adolescence to begin conversations about identity and most black children by age 10 have an adult view of biological and social racial constructs. As a black man, though, incapable of shedding the skin into which I was born, I know that I don't have the privilege of shying away from difficult conversations about the cultural assumptions of black inferiority that America's history of discrimination has caused. I'm reminded nearly every day that other people in the country of my birth see me as being inferior. I'm reminded when people intentionally cross the other side of the street, when I'm walking down the same sidewalk, I'm reminded every time that I'm in a predominantly white space and have to prove my intelligence or when a white woman clutches her purse when I walk in her direction. I've been reminded when I've participated in events as a nonprofit leader and have been mistaken for the janitor simply because I happen to be the only black person in a group of white leaders. Thank you. Terrence, as I said before, I understand, I, I feel, I feel that. And I can tell you, you wrote that out of uh, your heart, but out of that, the pain and, and so much of what we have to experience. You'd like to think that we have moved beyond always having to have that, that sort of awareness, but it's there. You articulate it so well. So thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity and a space to be open and honest and transparent about my social location and my journey. I think as a writer, you get an opportunity to give readers and uh, a peep into your world. Uh, but you also give readers the opportunity to see what's going on in your heart. I'll never forget. I was invited to a huge gathering from a well-known company. I was uh, one of six nonprofit leaders, and I was the only Black leader there. And everybody is all excited and happy. And I'll never forget at the end, I was standing in a circle. It was about 15 or 20 uh, white men standing around, and this middle-aged white woman walks up to me out of everybody standing around and asked me, where's the gar garbage bags? Because she thought that I was the janitor. This lady rushes over and says, no, no, this is, you know, the, this is not the, the, the custodian. Uh, this is Terrence and he's the leader of this organization. And I'll never forget her apologizing and me having to play it off and then walk out of the room. And on the ride home, I was in tears. But the real question is, what do you do with those tears? And for me, 
one of the ways in which I've been able to relay these messages has been in the form of writing, writing about these experiences in a way that invites people to listen as opposed to shun. Uh, It invites people to a table that is not their own to sit down and engage in a conversation where they are not the, the, the main speaker, right? Writing itself gives persons of color the ability to have the microphone and speak up for themselves. Listening to that, I'm, I'm quiet because I'm, I feel very emotional. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten emotional on this podcast because it's like you grow up, like you said, reading from authors who don't have the same experiences as persons of color. And to finally have somebody articulate that so other people can know, like, is so powerful. Um, And I'm thinking specifically, I'm not a parent um, and I'm not black. And so my experience is different. But the closest thing I can imagine is this summer, the, the fear that I had every time my parents and my grandparents would step out of the house, right? And what would happen because of all the anti-Asian hate crimes and all of that. And it was the first time where I I felt that fear of how do I equip my whole household just because people have a perception because of how I look like. And so for you, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, what was that for you writing this, thinking about your daughter and your son? Like, how was that experience for you? Because I, I want our listeners to recognize this isn't just words on a page. This is a lived experience of pain and fear as well. Firstly, there's always this fear of sharing that type of information because sometimes when you speak out about your existential experiences, then you're gaslit for sharing those experiences as if they are not valid. What I've always tried to help, you know, my white brothers and sisters understand is that I am both black and I am a Christian. I've never had the privilege of separating my existential experiences from my faith. Just because I follow Jesus doesn't mean that I won't be discriminated against. Just because I follow Jesus doesn't mean that I won't be profiled incorrectly by law enforcement. And so when I write about all of these experiences, it's not in no way to put other people down as much as it is to give people an opportunity to understand what I live through second by second. You just share your story about your fear of your family members and the hate and the discrimination that went against the Asian American and Pacific Islander community just this past summer, my heart breaks. It breaks. I think we're in a moment in time where we need more people to lean in with more questions than they have statements, with more opportunities to embrace empathy than they do uh, disdain or critique. And the thing that I, I like to say now is that there is always going to be an analysis of an analysis, right? At some point, we've got to stop analyzing things and start to ask the pragmatist question of how can I act? As I write, that is what I'm hoping to 
come across to people is people leave with a sense of how do I act? How do I behave? How do I respond? How do I love more uh, of my neighbor? Thank you, Terrence. And thanks for the courage to share your your story because it helps so helps all of us as we seek to try to express what it feels like. So thank you. We need to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Terrence and find out more about his personal writing habits and his quirks. You'll also find out how to get a special discount on Terrence's books. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now, a new online on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil. The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. James Chung. What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley. When we look at the injustice in the world, we're going to address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. And there are so many more great teachers to learn from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. That's EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Today, we've been talking with Terrence Lester, author of I See You and When We Stand. And so keep listening to find out how you can get a special discount of 40% off of Terrence's books at ivypress.com. So tune in till the end and we'll let you know how. But before we get to that, I want us to find out a little bit more about Terrence's writing habits and his quirks. And so Terrence, I want you to think about a time when you had writer's block or it was just a really hard season to keep going when it comes to writing a manuscript. Could you share with us, how did you push through? How did you get past that? I'll never forget when I was writing When We Stand, I was experiencing some writer's block based upon being in an uncertain time and not really understanding what COVID was. I think it was in the beginning where everybody was trying to figure out, (laughs) is our world going to ever be okay again? I was sitting in my office and I just could not produce anything. And I went uh, to, to a park. I got into a conversation from a distance uh, with this guy. I don't even remember his name, but we started talking about life and how he was afraid of lo- losing his life and how he didn't have any of the resources in terms of PPE and et cetera. And I'll never forget having this moment of this is why. And for me, I think inspiration has always come from like either being in environments where I was close to stories or in some type of environment where I could just quiet everything around me and really lean in to my voice and what is needing to be said. 
In terms of practices, I write every day, at least for 10 minutes, even if it's not in an actual book. I write stories of things that I've encountered all throughout the week. I try to produce quotes. I try to stay in front of content that would inform my voice. I'm constantly reading articles and books and listening to content that would inspire me. And then what I do from there is I I take it and I file it away. So for me, when I'm writing a book, like when we stand, I have like this massive collection of stories of uh, people that I've encountered or things that have spoken to me or things that have significant meaning that would kind of help shape the message of the book. Um, so I, I catalog a lot of things. I, I think something to note for our listeners, and maybe they know, but being an author is not your full-time gig. Terrence does a lot of things. And so on top of being a father and a dad, you're an activist spearheading love beyond walls. While launching When We Stand, you were filming a docu-series that was being launched. And on top of that, you're getting your PhD. There's a lot happening. And so for our listeners who want to write, how do you say discipline when you're not clocking in nine to five writing a manuscript? I know you said you find at least 10 minutes a day. And even previously, you talked about reaching a quota. But what does that look like in your day-to-day while you're still doing a million things on top of being an author? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, one of the things that drives me is discipline. And that means because I'm disciplined in certain areas means that it comes with saying no to other things that could be self-gratifying for the moment. Um, I've had had to learn how to balance my plate. And so for me, it looks like getting up at 4.30, maybe 5 a.m. every single morning, Um, not only to have like personal self-care time, but also to create a space where I can read and write. And I've just built in these practices of uh, what my, one of my mentors used to, to say to me, sometimes you got to do the things that you hate in order to create the things that you love, which is very essential <laughs> because the process itself can be like a love-hate relationship, <laughs> but you're going through this process to create this thing that you're giving birth to metaphorically into the world that other people will be inspired by and hopefully take to heart to help to make a difference in the world. And so I try to stay focused on that end goal, but I do build in buffer time before everybody else is up and after everybody else is asleep to maintain the discipline. Well, Terrence, thank you. And as we wrap up our time together, could you tell our listeners what advice would you have for them or for any up and coming authors of color about the publishing journey? I don't know if this is advice as much as it is encouragement. One is to never stop writing and sharing your perspective. You know, sometimes I am both encouraged and filled with sorrow when I enter into bookstores, major bookstores, and I see the section for Black writers, and it's only one shelf. And I'm reminded the need to produce 
content in the world to add to the tapestry of writers that have gone before me, but also are in this generation with me. So never stop writing. And the, the second thing is to never give up because change doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. What I mean by that is that you never know when the moment will present itself and meet you where your pen has met the paper. So never give up and never continue to, to shoot and strive for the opportunity to share your words broadly. I, I think the third and last thing would surround yourself with people who will not only cheer you on, but will also challenge you to think deeper and wider and broader than what you're thinking now. I think some of my best ideas have emerged from conversations that I've had with people who challenged me to think even deeper about what I was thinking in the present moment. Well, Terrence, we've come to the end of our time together. But before we go, we want to give you a few moments to share with our listeners any special projects you have going on right now and even where people can find you and reach you. Yeah. So right now we are building self-contained shower units for our friends without an address. We just recently talked to a, a major distributor of home appliances and home parts, and I can't say their name, that is thinking about partnering with our organization to continue this important work of giving access to sanitation to our friends without an address. Yeah, if people want to look us up, they can go to lovebeyondwalls.org or follow us on social media at lovebeyondwalls as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to look me up, it's I'm Terrence Lester. That's I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. Awesome. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. So thank you, Terrence, for just even your time, for your work, for your life, just for your example in our generation. We're so thankful for you. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm grateful to serve. It's been a pleasure being on Every Voice Now. And lastly, we wanted to share with you all that you can find Terrence's books at ivypress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free U.S. shipping. So visit our site to get a great deal on Terrence's book today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee. And our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, we'd be grateful if you'd share about it with your friends. Please review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we love getting your feedback. So get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. Oh,